Chronic illness can be an all-consuming experience. I have suffered with chronic illness for over 20 years, and there is no doubt managing a chronic condition can be a full-time job with no perks or time off. It affects every facet of your life, but you are not alone. Join me as we hear real stories of people living with pain and illness, their challenges, their victories, and the treatments and coping strategies they use to get through the day. I am not my pain, and neither are you. Welcome back to I Am Not My Pain podcast. Today, I'm looking forward to learning more about Lyme's disease and mold illness. Some of you may know Lyme's disease is a bacterial infection spread to humans by infected black-legged ticks. Symptoms can begin 7 to 21 days after the bite and can include fever, headache, fatigue, and a very distinct rash. If left untreated, the infection can spread to joints, the heart, and the nervous system. Some people may even develop long-term symptoms, which can mimic those of fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue syndrome. Mold illness is an inflammation disease within the body, resulting in the immune system acting haywire. Lyme's disease and mold illness can also trigger one another. Mold exposure can in fact further complicate Lyme's disease symptoms due to the person's already weakened immune system. To discuss these two conditions and more is my podcast guest and chronic illness warrior for today, Dr. Diane Mueller. Dr. Mueller is a survivor of Lyme disease, mold illness, and prolonged IBS symptoms. She suffered for years with chronic exhaustion, severe digestive dysfunction, and chronic pain and had a severe impact on her health and life. She says mainstream medicine only provided mildly palliative treatments. So she committed herself to discovering the root causes of her conditions. Dr. Mueller set out on a journey of healing herself, earning two doctorates in holistic medicine, one in naturopathic medicine and the other in acupuncture and oriental medicine. She holds a functional medicine certification and she is now nationally recognized as a Lyme's disease, mold illness, and functional medicine expert. She is the founder of My Lyme Doc, an alternative medical practice that focuses on treating Lyme's disease and other difficult to treat conditions like mold, fibromyalgia, gastrointestinal problems, and autoimmune disease. She also has mylibidodoc.com to help women with low sex drive and hormonal dysregulation. Dr. Mueller has authored a best-selling book, It's Not in Your Mind, Solutions and Strategies for Lyme Disease, Mold Disease, and Chronic Infections, in which she describes how she overcame mold and Lyme illness after a protracted battle and explains how others can do the same. Dr. Mueller understands the desperation for relief when it comes to being chronically sick and the steps one can take to heal from Lyme's disease, mold, illness, and IBS and more. Dr. Mueller, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Me too. So maybe share a little bit of your personal story and how you were able, you know, your process enabled to healing what your chronic ailments were. Yeah, so you already mentioned some of it in the intro with the fact that it started with gastrointestinal symptoms and that was IBS. I was already like intense enough on its own. Like sometimes I would go seven to 10 days without a bowel movement. Like my belly would be so swollen. Sometimes I 
travel with multiple size pants because I didn't know what was going to fit me that day. So it was already, it's like a little bit of a nightmare. But the silver lining of that nightmare was that it actually led me into naturopathic medical school because I had the IBS diagnosis. I was just told to basically live on laxatives and that that was just normal for me. And intuitively that did not feel right. So that's actually what drove me to holistic medical school initially was like looking for other ways of medicine. It's just like really trying to find an alternative way to heal my gut. And then what happened when I was in school is I started getting sicker and sicker and sicker and started having really weird, weird and horrible pains and sensations. Like I would sometimes have pain so bad in my lower legs that it would feel like somebody was sawing my leg off, like pain that would keep me on a toilet because I would sit down and I'd be in such excruciating pain. I couldn't even contract to get back up. I would get stuck in bed. Sometimes I have to be carried upstairs and that would come and go like Lyme does, even though I didn't know that, you know, that that was Lyme at that point. So I'd have really bad days and then days that were like less bad. Right. And then I started having other types of weird symptoms. Like I would go on these very, very, very short walks around the block and short because of all the symptoms, but I was still trying to like walk five minutes a day. Right. That was my goal most days. So I these very, very short walks and I'd get a block or two away from my house. And then like the depersonalization cloud would come over and I don't know what it was back then. And I would all of a sudden be like, where's my home? Where do I live? Where am I? And I would like lose track of like spatial reality. It was very, very, very scary. And it was short. These would, I would call them episodes and they would come on, they would last. I mean, maybe it was 30 seconds, you know, it might've even been less than that. I really don't know, but it would feel a lot longer because the, the fear associated with it. So it wasn't until when I was in school, I did manage to get through school and perform well and all that with sheer, sheer, sheer grit and will, luckily. And it was basically after school when all of my friends and colleagues got started feeling like, oh, their medical school syndrome was over, like their fatigue and all the weird symptoms that people have when, you know, we're sleeping sometimes a few hours a night for many, many months on end and years on end to get through it. And when all of my friends and colleagues started reporting that they were not having symptoms anymore, they were feeling great. And I was feeling worse than ever. That's actually when I knew something was wrong. Because before that, it was really easy for it just to get, you know, brushed off as medical school Mm -hmm. syndrome. And then once I figured out that, okay, there is something really wrong, started running tests. That's where I found Lyme. That's where I found molds, you know, evidence of mold illness and, you know, really like a dozen other abnormalities at that point in time. But the Lyme and the mold were really the top two most problematic things. That's, that's intense. And I mean, um, I guess you'll kind of go into this a little bit anyway with my, my thought process here, but I, you know, I, you know, I read a little bit about Lyme disease. I mean, I know a little bit from my own history, just, just knowing about it, but what exactly is it? And then why is it so hard to diagnose and treat it? Because that I would be find interesting. Yeah. And I'm really glad you read that intro about Lyme because I think that's a good basic foundation to answer that question from. Because essentially, while everything that you read is, you know, is accurate, there is that is actually not true all the time. What and what I mean by that is classically, if you look up the acute symptoms for Lyme disease, you find everything you just read. However, not everybody has those acute symptoms. And what can happen sometimes for people is like, 
like what I tell people if like they they call our office and they have acute Lyme symptoms, like you're lucky and you're not lucky because you have Lyme disease, but you're lucky because you actually manifested the symptoms from it where we can catch it early. Because for people without the symptoms, it's like that rash, right? That target lesion or bullseye type of rash that is classically talked about online. It's only actually present in about a third of people, right? So a lot of people don't have that. A lot of people don't have, you know, fever. And if they do, sometimes symptoms are so minor for people that it might just feel like like a common cold or a flu. And like, you know, no, you're not going to go to the doctor because you feel a little off and you have to lay in bed for a couple of days typically, right? So it gets, and, and even if you did, somebody's probably not going to look for a line because it looks like a cold or a flu. So essentially what can happen for a great deal of people is it can go dormant and you can have it and then it can go dormant for many, many, many years because Lyme can do that. And all of a sudden you have a stressful event or all of a sudden you get a parasite or all of a sudden you get, you know, some other infection and it's resurges. And now you have a problem because now it's reactive, but now it doesn't look like those initial symptoms. Now it's neuroinflammatory. Your nerves are inflamed. Now it's leached across your blood brain barrier. Like there's even one study linking it to Alzheimer's, right? So like now I'm not saying that that's the cause all the time, but the point is that now we have these longer widespread symptoms that nobody is tracing it back to whatever happened possibly decades ago. Well, that is so true. I didn't even think about that, but it's true. And it's amazing that it can stay dormant for that long in your body. And in fact, if you don't get a rash, I mean, other than like, you, how do you know? Like, how would you know? And then you think you're just going through something like where you're tired and you're like, well, I'm just real tired lately. I don't know why. And you brush it off. And then 15 years later, 10 years later, a couple of years later, you have a stressful event and all of a sudden you're having massive symptoms. So, I mean, that is kind of, I mean, is that why when you do have chronic fatigue or fibro or depression or brain fog, I mean, should you get tested for Lyme? And what does the test include anyway? Yeah, the, the testing is a really important you know, thing. So the FDA just announced like slightly different testing requirements, really just like, like this month, right? So I don't know when this is launching this podcast launching, but, but recently is the point. So essentially it's, it's still this point where it's antibody testing, where you're using something called an ELISA test, and then you're going into the Western blot. So it was a two-part test. Part one is what has largely been changed. And so essentially what's happening there is like, that's good. That's good. That part one is, is changed as far as the two-tier testing, because there's been evidence of like the previous way the part one was doing was a really, really high percentage of false negatives. But the other thing is like the thing that's problematic with conventional Lyme disease testing is, is this is like Lyme disease, like you mentioned, is a bacteria. And so Lyme disease, the bacteria is Borrelia burgdorferi. And so essentially Borrelia burgdorferi, yes, it will cause Lyme, but Borrelia has a lot of other species that are not burgdorferi, Abzeli, Miyamotai, there's tons of them. And so the classic Lyme disease test is really only looking for Borrelia burgdorferi because classically that's Lyme disease. Now, these other species of Borrelia can also cause like basically the same symptoms. Like conventionally speaking, we're not going to give it the Lyme disease label, but for all practicality and for like layperson standpoint, it basically is. It's a technicality, but it's still basically causing 
largely all the same symptoms, right? So because of that, we want to use some of these, these other types of testing sites. So my favorite site out there is a site called Vibrant Wellness. So Vibrant Wellness is a great company that really will test for a lot of these different, like tons of these different Borrelia species, plus other types of ins or other types of microorganisms, because when insects bite us, they don't just give us one thing. They will give us the entire cocktail of whatever's in their bloodstream. So then to answer part two of your question or part one, technically, which was when do we get tested, right? Like, how do we know to, to get this? Like, so essentially what you're really looking for here is you're looking for oftentimes, you know, I would say like one of two things in this cat and what I'm going to say, one either multiple systems being involved. So a situation where if you were going to break this down in conventional medicine, it's like, oh, well, I have a symptom in my GI tract. So I got to see my gastroenterologist. And maybe I have like some weird heart thing. So I got to see my cardiologist and I have headaches. So I better see my neurologist and my joints hurt. So I better see the rheumatologist, right? Mm -hmm. If you were to break this down by like all the different people you would need to see from a conventional standpoint, and it's quite a few, that's telling us there's multiple systems involved. And that's when we want to think about disease processes that can be inflammatory and cause wide body like effects like Lyme and mold. And the other big keynote red thing I would look out for is if there's no explanation. So like if you've run, say you've run your, your fatigue is your main symptom and say you've looked at thyroid and you've looked at vitamin D and you've looked at cortisol and you've run some vitamin tests and you've checked your gut. So you've done like some of these basic things and it's like, everything's normal, but you know, you're, there's something wrong. That's the other big red flag for something uh, more deep happening inside. Or one of these types of things we're talking about here is like all the other lab tests are normal. And I know there's something wrong. What are the treatments for Lyme disease? I mean, I know a lot of it is just, uh, you know, self-care and taking good care of your eating and your, your inflammation and your body, but what other, what, what kind of things do you do for Lyme's? Yeah. And we absolutely always, you know, the lifestyle is always critical, right? It's especially critical when we have these big inflammatory types of condition, you know, situations and conditions, but we absolutely want to kill the bugs. Now I really tend to work in a way where I recommend that people build them themselves up before they really go through any killing phases. So this may be like making sure your thyroid is in order, making sure your micronutrients are in order, getting enough of your adrenal support in. So these types of scenarios, right? Because the way I, I describe it is killing and detoxing are energetically expensive. And what I mean by that is in order for your body to go through the chemical processes that it takes to kill things or to detox them, it takes a lot of nutrients. It takes a lot of vitamins, it takes a lot of minerals. And so essentially we wanna build your stores up and make your supply larger because usually you're already pretty depleted by the time you are actually discovering that these are the root causes. So we really wanna build your stores up so you have the energy to deal with things like killing microorganisms. So. You know, the big standard of care still is doxycycline for acute Lyme, for sure. The thing to, that I like people to know is that while doxy is really good at clearing blood levels of Lyme out, there's a problem with it. And one of the big problems with it is there's also there's also studies that show that it converts very, very well. Doxy causes the Lyme to convert very, very well into its dormant form. 
And I cannot tell you the number of cases I see in my client practice where people have had Doxy, they had Lyme, they got treated with Doxy, they felt better. 10 years later, they're reactivated and they're back in my office and their pain's back and their fatigue's back and their migraines are back on and on and on and on. So I tend to use an herbal route much more commonly. There's an herb called cryptolepis. Cryptolepis actually outperformed all the antibiotics in the trial that it was done for working on those long-term cells that do not kill easily. So I use cryptolepis almost across the board with every patient, as well as a variety of other herbs. The other thing that I tend to do before I kill before we do these killing phases is we actually do a detoxification protocol that can look different for everybody. But the reason we do this is because when we are killing microorganisms, they release their toxins or they're called biotoxins and they release toxins as they die that the body has to deal with. And the toxins and the death of the microorganisms can actually make people feel really, really bad. And you can get an exacerbation of whatever symptom you're having. And if this is not done well, you can actually, I mean, I've seen people where it's like they try to do this on their own and they're just like reading about these herbs online and they take these full doses. And the next thing you know, they can't get out of bed for a week because they've, you know, their pain so bad or their energy so bad or their fog is so bad. So essentially what we want to do in these scenarios is we want to do a little bit of detox. And for many people, we go very, very slow because people tend to be very reactive to things when they have this much going on. And essentially we want to lower some of that body's toxic load. So we're lowering that threshold. So the body's a little bit cleaner from a toxic perspective so that when we're killing these microorganisms and they release their biotoxins, that we're, we're releasing them into a system that is not so toxic to begin with. Hmm. Wow. It's intricate though. And I'm sure it, it is. is slightly <laughs> different for each person. And Indeed. Because everybody is different. Every single person is different and their body is different and how they manage things and if they have other depletions in their body or so forth and so on. So I'm sure it's it's more complex than than it ever seems. But I mean, still, it's it's workable. And with, you know, I've always I've met a few people that have had mold illness and most of them have Lyme's disease as well, which I find very intriguing that they both, I mean, like it just, it seems to go hand in hand in a very odd way, which you wouldn't think so. Cause I mean, you know, mold is always something that kind of freaks you out. I live in an old house, like a 1935 house. So I think about mold all the time. I'm like, is there mold in here? You know, where's the mold? But you know, what's the truth about, you know, mold, your home and your health? Like, how does that all uh, work together. Cause I mean, I don't want to be freaked out forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, the easiest way to not be freaked out is the test, but if you're not having symptoms, then, you know, usually you're fine. So the thing to understand most about mold is that true mold illness, what we're really talking about is a genetic illness where your genes have an anomaly, which prevent them from properly being able to identify mold toxins. So if mold's growing in your home, it's secreting toxins. You take a breath in, you breathe the toxins in. And health, one person that has no genetic problem will actually be able to find the toxins or immune systems and be like, oh, I see you mold toxin called a mycotoxin. And the immune system will just remove that toxin. Now for people with the genetic anomaly I'm talking about, what will wind up happening is the immune system doesn't see it. And so if the immune system doesn't see that toxin when it's brought in, it doesn't remove it. 
And so this is one of the reasons why, it, and it's a good place to start because one of the reasons why we can have multiple people sharing a household and the house can be a problem and maybe only one or two people in the house are actually sick because that actually confuses people. And a lot of times people are like, well, it can't be my house because I'm the only one that's sick or you know, me and my child are sick, but my partner and my other child is not something like that. Well, we cannot rule that out because of that genetic problem. So sometimes, which can also happen when we're living in a home, is that we're actually breathing in the spores themselves. So it's almost like we can become the house where then the spores inside of us are actually then generating the toxins as well. So that can happen too. The other big, big, big thing to not miss in this conversation is so many people, especially homeowners, will be like, well, there's no way. Like, I tested my home. It was mold inspected. We haven't had any leaks. It was inspected. It's good. Unfortunately, I have to tell you that just because your inspector was, you know, approved for and they were certified by all the certification places you find online, fortunately, that does not mean anything. And here's why. The standard oftentimes is to take air samples, to test air samples inside versus outside and to do a humidity meter. Those are, you know, the general standards. Well, really toxic molds are heavy. What does this mean? Really toxic molds do not suspend in the air. They fall out. They land on surfaces. They get in your dust, right? And so we're not taking a surface sample, a dust sample, a swatch. Sometimes these, these words are used interchangeably. If we're not taking one of these things, we can miss the really bad molds. And, and stachybotrys, which is like the classic big black, bad black mold, right? That one's really heavy. It's not going to suspend in air. It's like you might have like a particle or two, per, you know, perhaps from the air being stirred up, but you're not going to find likely much, much of a problem unless it's insanely, insanely bad. You're not going to find it unless you test the dust. So, so many times people are thinking like, well, I did my home inspection. Can't be that. So. I'm fine. And they're actually living in a very, very, very pathological house that's creating the problem. What symptoms do you get with mold illness? Like what are the most common? I'm sure there's a ton, but. Sadly, this is all the time we have for today. I hope you will listen to the rest of Dr. Mueller's interview where she will share about mold illness, why Lyme's disease and mold illness reoccur at such a high rate and the mind-body approach to aid in recovery and prevent reoccurrence, and so much more. To learn about Dr. Mueller or her practices, go to mylimedoc.com or mylibidodoc.com. I will include both of these in the episode description, and I would highly recommend you go check out her best-selling book, It's Not In Your Mind, Solutions and Strategies for Lyme's Disease, Mold Illness, and Chronic Infections. Dr. Mueller has been kind enough to supply my listeners with a link where you can go and receive a free copy of this book for only the cost of shipping. Please check out the link in the episode description. I want to thank Dr. Mueller very, very much for taking time to speak with me today. And of course, a huge thank you to all my listeners for tuning in. And remember, you are not alone and you are not your pain. Like the show? Please subscribe and leave a review. Or to learn more about the show or how to become a guest, simply visit our website 
at www.iamnotmypainpodcast.org. That is iamnotmypainpodcast.org. Your story matters. We look forward to hearing from you. Hi, this is Keith. I am a martial arts therapist at the Hero Circle, a global healing and wellness initiative inspired by the children of kids kicking cancer. Would you like to discover the power of your breath while fueling the purpose of thousands of sick children across the globe? Simply check out our free adult meditation catalog at herocircle.org forward slash meditations. To learn more about our program and our inspirational little heroes, visit our website at herocircle.org. From all of us at the Hero Circle, we wish you a wonderful day. Power, peace, purpose.